Today's first reading comes from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, and can be found on pages 1173 to 1174 in the Church Bibles. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who was rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, express in his kingdom to us, kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which good prepared in advance for us to do. This is the word of the Lord. Today's Second Testament reading comes from Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 to 29, and can be found on pages 1182 to 1183 in the Church Bibles. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God, and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I will fill up and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Thanks for being here today. Today and next week, we will be back in our study of Colossians. It's been a bit over a month since we last looked at this letter together, so I'll give a quick review of what we talked about a few weeks ago. Paul is writing this letter to the Christians, the church in the city of Colossae, and there seem to be some false teachers and teachings being spread in the church there. 
Last time we focused on Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 through 18. In these verses, Paul gave a summary of the doctrine of the Son, the person of the Trinity, who is Jesus. He says, Jesus is the image of God. So Jesus himself is God. Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. So Jesus has a special status over all created things because he himself created them. And lastly, Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the active leader of the body of Christ, us. Today, we are going to focus on a portion of the verses read by Claire. We're going to focus on verses 19 through 23. We will focus on the concept of reconciliation to God. What does it mean that God will reconcile himself to earth and the heavens and us? And what then is our status as people before God? Let's pray as we get started. Lord, you are on your throne in heaven and you are eternally praised and worshipped. You are holy. Thank you for listening to us and for speaking to us and for speaking to us through your words in the Bible. God, please reveal to us today what you would like to reveal to us and help each and every one of us to learn more about you. In your name, Jesus. Amen. So let's start by reading from last week's verses into this week's. So I'm going to read again Colossians 1, 15 through 19. So please follow along in your Bibles or your bulletins if that's helpful for you. Let's read starting with verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy." For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. So quickly again, verses 15 through 18 tell us about who Christ is, the image of God, the firstborn over all creation, and the head of the church. And verse 19, where we'll start today, sums this all up very succinctly. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. So in this, Paul is communicating that Jesus is God. He's the Son, the person of the Trinity. And the word fullness here reminds the reader, reminds us of God filling the temple in the Old Testament, where God would fill the temple with his very presence and his very glory. God was there. And here it says, all God's fullness dwells in Jesus. So it's not just a part of it not just temporarily before Jesus died or after. All of God's fullness is in him. And this was clearly a refute to the false teachers there in Corinth who taught that Jesus was just one special being among many special beings. No, this passage states that Jesus is different. All of God's fullness dwells in him. So, now that we know who Jesus is, this takes us to verse 20, which reads, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, 
by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now, first off, let's define reconcile. Uh, a definition we can use here is to re-establish a right or correct relationship with. Re-establish a right relationship with. So to put the relationship of things or people or beings where they should be in the right place. So here it says that Jesus will reconcile all things to himself. And again here, Paul is probably talking directly to those false teachers. Like we spent some time talking about a few weeks ago, other beings are not able to reconcile us to God. Another spiritual being cannot, another person cannot, and we ourselves cannot reconcile ourselves to God. All of these other avenues to God are hopeless. They are dead ends. But because all of God's fullness dwells in Jesus, because of who Jesus is, he alone can reconcile us and everything to himself. How does Jesus reconcile all things to himself? Well, the passage tells us by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So it's the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus. The Son of God came to this earth, was born as a baby, and he grew up. He was fully God and fully man, and he lived a perfect life, and he died on the cross to pay for our sins. He took our place, the death that we deserve, and he rose again from the dead, and because he is God and he is perfect, he could take away our sins, and he could transmute his uh, his righteousness to us. Because he's God, he can reconcile things to himself. And this cross is the pivotal moment in history. And if you are confused about this story, this gospel, um, what it is exactly, please talk to someone after the service about it. It's, it's the, the pivotal piece of Christianity for you to understand. Now, even more than just our personal reconciliation with, with God, as this passage states, through Jesus, God will reconcile all things to himself. What does that mean exactly? This verse is a, is a bit difficult to interpret. On a first glance, it kind of seems like Paul is advocating for universalism here, right? The belief that all people, and maybe even all other things, all beings, like demons, for example, would one day come to know Christ and be saved. But I don't personally think this passage is talking about universalism. Um, elsewhere in the Bible, it is extremely clear that followers of Jesus will be with him in eternity, and those who don't will not be. Um, Paul talks about this constantly in his other letters. So the Bible is consistent, right? It's not going to contradict itself. So the phrase to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, I believe communicates that everything in the universe will eventually be brought under God's right rule. That everything's relationship under God will be put to how it should be. The right order of things will be reestablished. And I believe this idea has both a present bent and a future bent to it. The present bent is that, as we just said, through Christ's death and resurrection, there is reconciliation now for us people. As Christians, we have peace before God today. We stand before him, righteous through Jesus. 
and we will talk a bit more about our condition before God when we look at the next verses. The future bent is the reconciliation, the peace that Christ will ultimately bring one day when he returns. He will ultimately make all things right again, establish a right relationship to everything in the universe. And this will touch everything that is created and everything that has been created. And a few weeks ago, again, we talked about this concept of the hope of heaven that we have as followers of Christ. This is the future hope that God will create a new heavens and a new earth, that the sin that has infected everything and that has twisted everything will be gone, and that things will be made right once again. Now, this reestablishment of right relationship will, um, will involve restoration to God for some and separation from God for some, or, or judgment for some. Restoration for those who know him and separation for those who don't. God is not going to force people against their will to be restored to him. And God bringing a peace to the earth and the heavens means evil in the universe will be subdued forever. People and beings will no longer have power to cause evil in God's universe. Evil will be judged and finally true Sabbath rest will be had. Now, how can we apply this to our lives today? As a quick illustration, who here knows what Grumpy Cat is? Anyone know who Grumpy Cat is? Raise your hands. Yeah, not a lot of people. So, Grumpy Cat is this cat that has become internet famous for always looking grumpy, and his nose is kind of scrunched up back into his face. He has this flat little face. It's kind of like a pug. Do you guys know what a pug is? The dog? Yeah, it's kind of the cat version of a pug. So both grumpy cats and pugs, they have these tiny little noses, and they're smushed into their faces. And this is definitely not natural. They were bred by people over years and years and years and years to look like this. And honestly, I think they are so cute, right? I love these little guys. They're so adorable. But at the same time, it's also kind of terrible. These animals have trouble breathing, doing normal daily activities. They can't catch their breath. If they walk 10 meters, they're just panting, trying to breathe because of how humans bred them. Anyways, all of that to say, it's so eye-catching, it's so obvious for us when we see these animals that this is not normal, that this is not what a cat or a dog originally looked like. Sin has affected them to make their lives more difficult. And when we see one of these cute little guys, it grabs our attention. Little alarms go off in our head when we see them for the first time. They're not supposed to be this way. Something off is going on here. Now, looking at our own lives, I want us to ask, what is the pug or the grumpy cat in our own life? If you have some time after the service, think about this. On that same note, that grumpy cats and pugs set alarms off in our heads that there's something not right here. What in your daily life or your home or your work is clearly sticking out as something twisted, something wrong? Are there any behaviors of your own that clearly stick out to you that you know are wrong, that God wants you to change, but you just haven't made the effort to? 
Or is there an obvious toxic element in your, your work or your school culture that you know you could take that first step in changing? I think all of us have some of these, and I don't think there will ever be a point in our life where we won't. And God will restore everything in the end, but in the meantime, we are here to be his servants on earth. And we can't change everything. We can't give a pug a new nose. But there are many simple things that we can do. And as followers of Christ, we can take those first steps of reconciliation, of making things right in our world. Now we're going to move on. I hope I haven't ruined pugs or grumpy cats for you. But I do hope when you see them, you're reminded of the theology of sin and God's reconciliation for you. Anyways, what we just talked about was the big picture, the cosmic picture of God's reconciliation impacting everything, the earth and the heavens. Now Paul will take us to focus on the small picture, you and me, us. Let's continue with verses 21 and 22. Let's read. Once you were alienated from God, and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. We are going to talk about sin for a bit now. You can define sin as living in a way that rejects God. So anything you do or you think or you feel against God or anything that doesn't give God glory and praise in your life. And this is not an exciting topic to talk about. Generally, people aren't lining up around the corner of the church to talk about sin, but it's important, and this passage demands that we talk about it. And we're going to focus on the effects that sin has on our status or on our standing before God. Let's start off focusing on verse 21. Paul said to the Colossians, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. I think this easily applies to us today as well. Before receiving forgiveness from Christ, we are alienated from God. Enemies or hostile in our minds towards God. And this phrase, enemies in our minds, can mean we are against God, hostile in our thoughts, and in our disposition, how we think and then how we live out our lives and act. So these are very strong words that Paul has. Our first scripture reading from today in Ephesians 2 helps to flesh out these ideas even more. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 reads, As for you... You were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. If we thought the last verses were intense, these are even more so. Applying this passage to us today, before reconciliation to Christ, we are dead in our sins. The phrase, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, is referencing Satan. 
So before reconciliation, we are followers of the ways of Satan. It's like we're walking along in his footsteps. And lastly, it says we were deserving of wrath. We deserved to be rightly judged by God for our rejection of him and our worship of something else. So we know now, before reconciliation with God through Christ, we're alienated, we're separated. But let's not worry. There is hope in verse 22. So let's read that once more. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. So verse 22 gives us a sharp juxtaposition to verse 21 before reconciliation and after reconciliation. This verse tells us that through Jesus' death and resurrection, we are reconciled to God and we are presented to him as holy, without blemish, and free from accusation. And this terminology reminisces of the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, an animal for a sin sacrifice was given And this animal had to be the best of the best. It had to be almost perfect. It showed you were giving your best to God when you gave this animal. And when you did this, God would look at your sacrifice. He would inspect your sacrifice. And he would say that it was perfect. It was good. And this sacrifice was accepted by God. In the same way, through Christ's death and resurrection through Christ taking away our sins, we can come before God as holy, without blemish, free from accusation. In the same way, God would inspect us, like the sacrifice, and he would say that we are perfect, that we are accepted by him. We can stand before God, blameless, without sin, because Jesus was the perfect sacrifice for us. This is our condition before God through Jesus. Now, as we just talked about, verses 21 and 22 show us this juxtaposition. You're either alienated or you are reconciled. And there only seems to be two positions that you can be in before God. Often we can think of salvation more as a gradient, right? John is pretty good. He's over here on the spectrum. Lisa isn't quite as good. She forgot to feed her, peg, her pug this morning, so she's down here on the spectrum. And maybe if reconciliation with God relied on us, on our performance, on our goodness, things would be this way. But that is not the reality that God teaches us here. Reconciliation with God is binary. There's only two options, a one or a zero. You're either alienated or you're reconciled. And this is because our reconciliation relies solely on God's grace for us. Again, looking at our previous verses, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. This reconciliation is the gift of God alone. It's nothing that we can do ourselves. God loved us first, even though we were hostile towards him. Each of us has purposely and personally inserted evil into a good world that God has created. We could never make our way up a goodness gradient. We need his grace. 
And it's impossible for us to overstate the gravity of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. We will be worshiping him for eternity for that action that he took for us in history. Now, let's apply these truths to our lives. For those of us who are Christians, I see two different pitfalls that we can fall into. The first is that we can grow numb to the reconciliation that we have received in Jesus. We can grow so used to it that we completely zone out when we're reading in the Bible about Christ's work or when we hear it mentioned in conversations or in podcasts or in sermons. We forget what this really means, that we can stand before God blameless. And when this happens, we aren't actively thankful to Jesus. When we do this, we we let ourselves become numb. We can start to focus our lives away from God. We can forget why God made us, why we're here, why we do what we do. And our behaviors can be changed because we forget the cost of our sins. The other pitfall we as followers of Christ can fall into is the opposite. We know intellectually that we are saved by Jesus, but we never let this truth really absorb into our lives. We still feel worthless for our sins, or we don't feel as if we are truly forgiven. We beat ourselves up over the things we do wrong, and we remind ourselves daily, maybe even hourly, of Jesus' work on the cross for us, but we aren't reminding ourselves out of reverence or worship to Jesus, but out of guilt and out of feeling like we have to, or else we are condemned. We don't remember our standing before God, that we can be in his presence. When we are in either of these situations, we need God to remind us of reality, of the truth. Only God can bring us into a healthy relationship with him. So pray and ask God to reveal reality to you. Ask him to show you the significance of the cross. Remember the full reliance you have on Jesus. But also remember the full power of what Jesus has done. That he has taken your sins away once and for all. That you can truly stand before him. And now, if you are not a follower of Jesus, or you're, you're not really sure, you're questioning These verses have some very strong words, probably even surprising words. When I wasn't actively trying to follow Jesus, I I don't think I would have said I was hostile towards God. I don't think I would have thought I was walking in the footsteps of Satan. And I'm guessing most people would never say that. But these verses tell us that if we aren't following Jesus, we really are living against him. The Bible says that Jesus is God and that he is the king. And if we don't follow him, we are living to bring glory or to worship something over and against him. We are saying something else, or myself or another God or someone else is God, something else is the king. We are promoting that thing in the world over God, whether we like it or not. If we aren't for him, we are living against him. And so if you aren't sure about God, I would encourage you, take this topic very seriously. Really spend some time searching. It matters. We'll now move to our conclusion for today. So let's look at verse 23 together. 
So verse 22 and 23 read, But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now, here in verse 23, we are presented with what seems to be a condition. He has reconciled the Colossians through Christ to present them wholly in his sight if you continue in your faith, he says. And this sentence form is a bit strange that's used here, but most would say that Paul is actually not expressing a doubt that the Colossians will continue in their faith. This sentence form uh, would usually be used to express confidence. So confidence from Paul that the Colossians would continue in their faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope in the gospel. And wherever we are in our walk with God, whether we're new followers of Christ or we're old followers, this passage is giving us all the same call to action. Continue in your faith. Persevere. Be established. Be firm. Do not forget the hope you have of reconciliation and eternal life with Christ. We will never outgrow the need for perseverance and hope. Continuing in our faith, being established and firm in Jesus is not easy. I think there's a reason that Paul mentions this. It's not a simple task for any of us to follow God for our whole lives and to not conform to the world. The moment we grow lazy or arrogant thinking, yeah, I've got this whole Jesus thing down, it's probably the moment we are taking a step away from God. And of course, none of us are perfect, and none of us will be perfect in this life. The Colossian believers were clearly stumbling, being tempted by these false beliefs, and we, 2,000 years later, are not any better than they are. So we must be on our guard. We need to establish and root ourselves in the Lord, build our foundation on Jesus Christ. We need to ask him daily for the strength to follow him. As we end, let's summarize what God has spoken to us in the book of Colossians in these verses. All of the fullness of God dwells in Jesus. And because Jesus is God, he has the power of reconciliation. Through his death and resurrection, he will reestablish a right relationship to himself with all things in heaven and all things on earth. Everything will be made new again and evil will be crushed forever. On the more personal side, before we knew him, we worked against him. But because of his great love for us, he's brought us to salvation. Let us not tire of following him, but be established and firm in him growing in our faith daily. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for what you have done for us and to the universe through your death and resurrection, Jesus. Thank you for bringing reconciliation. Thank you for making all things right. Let us meditate on your words today and what they mean for us, what they mean for our daily lives. Lord, work in us and bring each and every one of us closer to you. In your name, Jesus. Amen.